We do have a good, good Father in heaven, and Jesus shows us his quality, his goodness uh, in this account that um, some have called a, a Mark sandwich, where you've got the story beginning with uh, this man named Jairus, and he's a, a spiritual leader, uh, most likely a political leader. He's very influential in Capernaum, uh, and he has a very desperate, desperate situation uh, he and his wife, his family are concerned because his daughter, uh, as he comes to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet and begs for Jesus to help him because his daughter's on the, like, the edge of death. Uh, she's that sick, and this is their, their last-ditch uh, effort to do anything to, to keep his daughter from dying. Uh, and Jesus agrees to go with Jairus and says, sure, let's go. I'm, I'm here. I'm available to help you, and which is wonderful. Uh, Jesus would just automatically be willing to go and leave aside his own plans and go with Jairus to his home and help him. Uh, that's beautiful. But on the way there, a woman comes up behind Jesus, a poor woman who's incredibly sick. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And, uh, and she too is really in a desperate situation and will die if she doesn't get help. And she's been to all the doctors and nobody's been able to help her. She's spent all her money. Nothing's been effective. And, uh, and she's in a desperate, desperate place. And she just thinks, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be better. And that's what happens. And uh, to her amazement, she is healed. And to her amazement, Jesus feels the power leaving you know, his body to help this woman and he stops and he turns and he has this interaction with her, uh, blessing her and, and reminding her and telling her, assuring her, you are, you know, my child. He calls her daughter. And all the while, during this interaction with this woman, what do you think is going through Jairus' mind and Jairus' heart? Right? Let's, uh, let's, let's pick up in verse 35, okay? Let's stand in honor of God's word. <clears throat> so uh, while he, while, while Jesus was still speaking with this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw the commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this 
And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your word, which reveals to us who you are. You are a good, good father, and you have given us a good, good savior and king and elder brother. And you've given us your Holy Spirit, uh, a good comforter, a good counselor, uh, a good guide to what is true and a, a good, kind reminder of how we need to repent. Lord, would you bless us and help us to see you more clearly through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, So, if if church is your gig, uh, this is not new for you. You you know sort of the mantra, God's good, right? God is good. All the time. All right, good. Thank you. Uh, If church is sort of new for you... um, well, A, we're glad you're here. Uh, B, we, we get a little bit conditioned in the Christian community to say, oh yeah, God's good, God's good, God's good, Jesus is good, it's all good. I'm happy, it's all good, you know, and we sort of paint the plastic smile on our face and pretend like everything's always awesome all the time. Um, but then... There are just these moments of uh, clairvoyance, you know, just clarity, and, um, and, and we can't pretend anymore. Uh, at times when Jesus sort of does something that is unexpected, unpredictable, uh, Jesus is slippery. And, uh, and that's one of the things that reminds us that he's not like us. Times when, like for instance... You happen to be going along and in desperate need of help for your dying daughter, uh, but the help doesn't come on time. Instead, you get news that she's actually died, and then Jesus says something to you like this. Don't be afraid. Just believe. That's impossible. That's... Jairus does not have a category at this point for resurrection. He has a category for healing. That's what he came to Jesus asking for. Please come, heal my daughter. She's about to die. But once, she, once Jairus' daughter's dead, that's the point of no return. Like, he, Jairus doesn't come to Jesus saying, hey, can you heal my daughter? But, and then if, but if she dies, then can you just, just resurrect her? It'd be fine. It's great. That's not in his mindset. He doesn't have that category of thinking for what Jesus is capable of. And so often you and I, in the face of something that's um, incredibly difficult, incredibly, incredibly painful, uh, that just seems impossible, Jesus continues to say, don't be afraid, just believe. And he does this again and again and again in the face of the things that make our lives incredibly hard, in the face of things like chronic pain, in the face of things like uh, a chronically painful marriage, in the face of things like chronically painful loneliness, in the face of, 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 of trials, in the face of overwhelming temptation, in the face of, 
of addiction, in the face of depression, in the face of persecution. Like, Jesus keeps saying, keeps telling us, keeps speaking to us, don't be afraid, just believe. And you go, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. I don't know how long I can keep believing. And, and that's where the rubber hits the road for us with this story. This is not just a quaint story about Jesus helping this dad and raise, raising this little 20, 12-year-old girl. This is about us. This is for us, okay? Uh, and, I, and I love the categories here. Uh, we've got this whole thing of delay and, you know, Jesus taking his time. Um, and, but at the same time, he's got time for everybody. And then we're sort of reminded of this theme from Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep and a time to, to laugh, and then you think about, it's time to get up. That's what Jesus tells this little girl. So I'm going to break it up into those categories. And, and let's start with this, this interruption, um, beginning again with that woman. And, and because Jesus delays, because he takes his time ministering to an outcast, to a nobody, to this woman whose society has written off. She's unclean. She's undesirable. We just wish she would go away and not make our lives so unpleasant by having to look at her. Jesus stops and blesses her. She's healed, and he pronounces salvation over her, calls her his daughter. But because he delays, Jesus gets, or Jairus gets word from his household um, Okay, we can, we can, we can call it uh, and pack it up. She's dead. Why, why bother? Why burden the, the teacher anymore? Why trouble the teacher anymore? And I think it's just crazy that these, uh, these people from Jairus' home seem to be, <laughs> like, why burden the teacher anymore? Why trouble the teacher anymore? They're more concerned about Jesus than about Jairus. This man has just heard that his daughter has died, and they're more concerned about, well, we don't want to trouble the teacher anymore. But, but Jesus is more concerned about Jairus. He says, don't be afraid. I've got this. Now, um, have you had that experience where you're on 250 or 340 or wherever, uh, big intersection, and uh, the stoplight's there, and you hear the siren, you check your mirrors, where's it coming from, and you see it eventually coming up behind you, and people, the other vehicles are getting out of the way, and you get out of the way, and then just every now and then, there's somebody that is at that red light, and I don't know what they're doing. They've got the music too loud, or they're on their phone, or whatever they're doing, and they are clueless. And the siren's going, and the lights are flashing, and this, you know, ambulance is trying to get through and can't get through because this moron isn't moving. And it's an emergency. And you know, I mean, you, you, your palms start sweating, and your heart starts beating faster because you're like, come on, move. And we, I, mean, I don't think we need to over-dramatize it. It's not always the difference between life or death, but Sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes. And in this case, for Jairus, for his family, for his household, the lights are flashing, the siren's going, and Jesus stops. I mean, they're on their way. They're going to Jairus' house, and things are good. And then Jesus stops, and he ministers to this woman, and he's got time for her. 
And because he had time for her, because he took that time for her, Jairus gets word that his daughter has died because of the delay. This isn't the first time that Jesus sort of takes his time and someone dies because of the delay. You remember, remember Lazarus? You remember John chapter 11? <clears throat> Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, like really sick, like he's going to die kind of sick. And then Jesus decides, oh, well, I think we'll hang out here for a couple more days before we go to Jairus's, or to, before we go to Lazarus's house to see Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And finally, when he gets there, first Martha runs out to, to see him, and she is a hot mess because Lazarus has already died. And she, no kidding, just looks right at Jesus and says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then, you know, Jesus goes to the house, and there's Lazarus, dead, like really dead. And there's Mary, and Mary and Martha, like it's the same mantra, the same accusation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And don't you wonder, isn't, isn't Jairus wondering the same thing? Isn't he thinking the same thing? Lord, if you had not stopped for this woman, my daughter would not have died. It seems, it appears to our eyes to be one of these dreadful dilemmas, like if I help this person, I can't help this person. If I take time for this one, I can't give time to that one. And that's the catch-22 that you and I feel stuck in many, many times because we're finite, and we have limits, but not Jesus. Jesus isn't bound by our timetables. He doesn't get stuck in our catch-22s. And Jesus shows us and demonstrates to us, because we know the end of the story, right? We have to, you know, Jairus needed to trust him. He didn't know the end of the story at this point, but he's about to find out that Jesus has time for everybody. He has time for the rich and for the poor. And he has time for the influential and he has time for the powerless. And he has time for the clean and he has time for the untouchables. And he has time. He's not overwhelmed by our problems. He has time for us. He has time for you. He has time for me. He's not annoyed with our questions. He's not, you know, rolling his eyes with our burdens and our mess and our, you know, habitual, you know, mistakes. None of that. He's not in a hurry. And he's not overwhelmed. The weird thing is, is that we are. We're the ones who don't have time for Jesus. And we're the ones who are in a hurry. And we're the ones that are overwhelmed. And we're the ones who are actually kind of annoyed with Jesus a lot of the time and rolling our eyes that he wants me to do what? He said what? He wants me to live my life this way instead of what I want to do, which is over here? Isn't it us? 
I want you to see here that Jesus has time for all of us. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in your life, this whole encounter, the, the, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and is dying, and this 12-year-old girl who is dying in her family, and Jesus has time for everybody. He's got time for you. Well, he gets to the house, and in verse 38, it says that Jesus saw this commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, and it's like Ecclesiastes 3, right? For everything, there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. This is, this is you know, a time to mourn. This is a time to weep, and it's good. It's good to weep, and it's good to mourn when death has come, um, and I was, uh, we, were, we were reminded of that yesterday at Chuck's memorial service. Like, um, you know, sometimes you get this impression, uh, again, you know, if you're new to the church, this is one of the places where we kind of fall short. At, at Christian funerals, you, you, you almost get this sensation, sometimes it's a- actually spoken and overtly said, don't weep, don't mourn, you know, so-and-so's in a better place, and you should be happy for them. And you're going, oh, okay. I guess I, I should stop crying now. Well, no. Weep and mourn, but do it with hope. Do it with hope in the resurrection, but don't stop weeping because what is that mourning? What, what is the weeping? It's, it's the acknowledgement that a great gift from God has been, that, that we enjoyed for a time is now taken away and we feel that loss and we feel that emptiness and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Death is an intruder and our grief is actually a healthy protest against this awkward enemy, this evilness that's come into this world and has destroyed what God made good and he intended for there to be life, not death. And so there actually is a healthy time to weep and to mourn. And then Jesus comes and he sees all this commotion And he says again, something really surprising. Here's Jesus again, sort of messing with our expectations. He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Um, Okay, so Jesus isn't saying, hey, what are you doing weeping? Shouldn't be weeping at a Christian funeral because, you know, this little girl's with with her father in heaven, and she's not suffering anymore. That's not what he's saying. Um, he knows what he's about to do, and he's, he's setting the stage for, for hope and for expectation. But, you know, just like when Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, this is sort of the parallel for this group. Don't weep, just believe. And instead of trusting Jesus, they do something really, really um, strange, but sort of predictable, uh, they're, back to Jairus, don't fear, just believe, you know, and, and what that means is that the antidote, or, or the, the uh, opposite of belief is, is this fear, and so Jairus has to choose, am I going to give in to my fear, or am I going to trust uh, my, my, my Lord, the one who has power, and we want to trust Jesus. So, so here's another situation where Jesus is encountering unbelief, and he says, don't, you know, he just says, believe and, and trust me, I've got this. And instead of believing, their option, instead of fear, is to be jaded and to, be, um, uh, to snicker, uh, to laugh and to scorn Jesus. 
Unbelief can take a lot of different forms, right? It can be fearful, it can be scorn, it can be, you know, across that gamut, instead of just simply trusting Jesus. Uh, and it's like these um, professional mourners, they, that sometimes you, you hire people to come in and make a big wail and ruckus, and, and it's, it sounds mercenary, but it actually, there, there was some wisdom to this, because in that culture, they understood the wisdom of mourning. And to bring in people who would freely, you know, get it out, they, that kind of gave the green light for the rest of the family, the rest of the community. This is a safe place to grieve. But their laughter demonstrates that, I, I like how one commentator said, the professional mourners represent the hardcore realists of every age who decide when empirical realities have foreclosed on divine possibilities. They think they know better than Jesus. Oh, come on. She's not sleeping. We know she's dead. And that's the evidence that this story actually is about a little girl who dies, not a little girl who slips into a coma that, you know, people have misdiagnosed. No, they know when somebody's dead. And Jesus comes and he says, all right, that's enough. And he puts these crazy people, you know, outside and he takes mom and dad, Jairus and his wife, and Peter and James and John, and they go uh, into the room where this little girl's body is laying. And look at verse 41. It says that Jesus takes her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. So <laughs> Jesus has given us this this remarkable uh, image of a father coming in to wake up his little girl. It's Father's Day, and so this is a great, great image for us. And he does it with these incredibly powerful and incredibly tender words. Uh, Talithakumi, it's Aramaic. This is one of the places where Mark records what Peter is dictating about Peter being there in that room and Peter tells Mark, who's writing all this down for his gospel, and Peter says, yeah. And then Jesus just said, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, wake up. Time to get up. That's all it meant. There was no magic formula. It was nothing, you know, no incantation. He didn't, he, he didn't speak Latin. He didn't say Wingardium Leviosa. Uh, he didn't say Accio, little girl. He just said, get up, wake up. In the common language in, in that era, it was Aramaic. And that's what's so beautiful about what Mark records. He just used a normal phrase. And, and contrast that now with what, what would you expect from somebody who had the audacity to say, you know what? Don't worry, everybody, I got this. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. And I will raise her up from the dead. Our culture expects theatrics and a light show and the fog machine and Latin incantations and gesticulations and all of these efforts by the gurus and the false prophets and the false preachers and all of this stuff to make it seem like we have the power to control reality, to manipulate it, 
right? To manipulate reality or to even, you know, get the, the edge on the deity. And we want to we bend it. We want to bend it so that it, it, it benefits us. And, and so we think that there should be a show. There should be incantation. There should be manipulation. There should be sacrifice. There should be something like that. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just simply sits on the edge of her bed, takes her hand in his hand, and he says, little girl, it's time to get up. And he just simply speaks. And because Jesus isn't a creation inside you know, the creator's world, he is the creator. He gets to call the shots. Because he defines what's real, he can just simply speak it, and it's so. And this isn't the first time Mark's shown us this. Jesus doesn't need all the incantations. When there was a, a hurricane you know, on the Sea of Galilee, he just simply says, peace, be still. Boom. And it happens. When there's a man with a withered hand, uh, instead of a hocus pocus, he just simply says, stretch out your hand. Boom. And it happens. The man, the paralytic, who was lowered through the roof by his four friends, Jesus just simply says, uh, get up. Take your mat. Go home. And he does. That's the power of Jesus' words. That's the power he has over reality. And so that's what's so powerful about these words. Talithakumi. And yet there's great tenderness there too. Because as he's already said, this is just what a dad would say to his little girl coming into her bedroom in the morning and saying, okay, time to get up. And he... I mean, she had heard, this, this little girl had heard that expression, you know, who knows how many times from her mom and her dad, every morning, time to get up, time for breakfast. And that's, that's what's so tender about it. He comes to her like a father, like a parent, to just simply wake her up. So I think it's really important for us to see that Jesus is showing us what a father is like. Uh, he even went so far, uh, John 14 says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So so let's get this in our heads. The Father in heaven, our Father in heaven is tender towards you and incredibly powerful. We can trust him. And what we see is that it was just because of what happens, because of this miraculous result, uh, it actually is, it does become a time for laughing. It was a time for weeping, not a time for mocking but because of how Jesus resolves this, it's, time, it's a time for laughter. And it's time for breakfast. This little great, you know, P.S. Get her a Pop-Tart. This is great. The, uh, the language there in verse 42 says, immediately they were overcome with amazement. That's where we get our word ecstasy, um, the, the Greek word for amazement there. And, and I, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, well, of course you have. This isn't new. Uh, but our culture has a problem with happy endings like this. Like, this is a happy ending. Oh my gosh. This is an ecstatic ending. But our culture is just sort of like this when it comes to happy endings now. And it's just been slowly over the past couple of decades where we've started to question the, the goodness of the fairy tales and the stories with all the happy endings. And we, and we, we scrunch up our brows and we go, eh, don't we need more complicated characters? Don't, don't we need more um, empowered princesses, right? Uh, Sleeping Beauty, I read this, Sleeping Beauty has been ranked the least, 
feminist princess. She's super passive. I don't know if you noticed. She sleeps through the whole story. Um, doesn't do much, doesn't advocate much, doesn't assert herself much. And the, uh, the feminists like, oh, we don't like that story anymore. Uh, and, and they won't let their kids watch Sleeping Beauty anymore because that's, that's a bad princess. But you know, now we've got these strong princesses. I love empowered, strong women. That's great. You're, when God says to the woman that she's going to be uh, Adam's helper, that is not uh, an insult. That is an incredibly powerful statement because God says that about himself. I am Israel's helper. That said, it's, we need to be very, very careful before we start you know, looking down our noses at all of the fairy tales of the happy endings, before we start you know, becoming highbrow toward the Hallmark channel, like, oh, I can't take that seriously, right? You know who you are. One calls the heart, right? Okay. Um, why do we get jaded about these happy endings? Why do we want to have fractured fairy tales? Why do we want to rewrite these? Why are we suspicious about Sleeping Beauty? I think it's a mistake. I'm not saying you, can't, you have to think everything on the Hallmark Channel is awesome. It's not. Uh, but I do think... Do you think you should be very careful before you become suspicious of stories that point us to the hope of a resurrection? Before the, you, you become jaded towards stories that make you hopeful for restoration. I love uh, C.S. Lewis writes in the, read, in the Weight of Glory, this is a sermon he preached. He said, we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry and the, and the modern fairy tales and, and the Hallmark Channel are so false as, as history, right, may be very near the truth as far as prophecy. What, do we, what does C.S. Lewis mean by that? Like the ancient myths and the modern poetry and all these, you know, happy ending stories. They're prophets. And they're pointing us to the truly happy ending that's coming. So far, We've been uh, focused on Jairus, on the dad, because that's who you know, Mark introduces us to. He's the adult in the conversation. But what about the little girl? So on the one hand, Jesus is asking us as adults, don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust Jesus when he asks us for what feels absolutely impossible. And this is the, this is the point where we should pause, and you need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, where am I afraid? What's got me terrified? Where do I feel stuck? Where do I feel trapped? Where do I feel hopeless? Where have I resigned myself to what I believe to be a situation that is beyond hope? I, it, it cannot change. And I need you to hear Jesus speaking to you. Do not fear. Just believe. So on the one hand, we're Jairus. On the other hand, we're a 12-year-old girl. 
And we need to see Jesus through the eyes of this 12-year-old girl who's dead. And I don't know what, what dead ears hear, but this little girl, this little girl's 12-year-old ears, this little girl's 12-year-old dead ears, her dead tympanic membrane, you know, got these sound waves coming from Jesus' voice, and somewhere in death, she hears, Talitha Kumi. And she opens her eyes and, you know, blinks and adjusts to the light and sees uh, the kindest, most loving face she's ever seen in her life before, staring right into her eyes. Uh, and then she looks over and she sees the second most kindest faces she's ever seen in her lives, mom and dad, and they're crying and laughing at the same time. And all she knows is, uh, boy, I felt weird. <laughs> and now I'm hungry. <laughs> Can I get up now? And she's us. Um, she's us in our soul. Uh, and, and I don't, you, you cannot miss this. If, if you and I are going to trust Jesus when he asks us to do what seems to be impossible, then that means that you and I are forgetting what seemed impossible has already happened to us. You and I have already been raised to new life. He's already done this miracle in your life. What's to keep him from doing something just as miraculous, you know, subsequent to that? And this is why Paul goes to this whole, you know, description in Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, you were dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you once walked following the course of this world and carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was our soul's condition left to ourselves spiritually dead. And, and God comes to us in that soul death, Jesus breathes life into our dead souls. The gospel is the good news that Jesus comes and he sits down beside our deathbed and he reaches down into death and lifts us up out of death into life with him. He forgives our sins, he joins us to himself, and he raises us to new life just like he was raised to new life. And we cannot miss the fact that he himself descended into death for us. And he experienced the sentence of sin for our sins. And it's by faith in him, by faith in a substitute sin bearer, that you and I can have our sins forgiven and we can be raised to new life with him. And Paul goes on to say that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And that's not all. Because just like Jesus is raising this little girl to new life, he restores her to her family. He says, hey, let, what about breakfast? There's this, there's this, I mean, over and over again, the Bible depicts salvation as being restored to a relationship with God where we sit down and we have a meal with him. And here's Jesus saying, what about breakfast? And he seats us uh, at his table. Um, Paul wraps up saying, God raised us up with him and seated us 
with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be God's son or God's daughter. That's what it means to call God our father. It means that we are adopted into his family. We were passive. We were dead. We were sleeping beauty. And Jesus comes and he kisses our forehead and says, rise, my love. David Platt puts it like this. To be a Christian is to be loved by God, pursued by God, and found by God. To be a Christian is to realize that in your sin, you were separated from God's presence and you deserve nothing but God's wrath. Yet despite your darkness and in your deadness, his light shone on you and his voice spoke to you, inviting you to follow him. And your dead tympanic membrane resonated with the Spirit's call. And his majesty captivated your soul and his mercy covered your sin and his, by his death he brought you life. Do you know for sure that you are his child? Not ultimately because of any good you've done. A dead soul doesn't do good. But solely because of the grace he has given. Jesus does a miracle of resurrection in every person who calls on his name. He does the impossible in our souls. What's impossible for us, Jesus accomplishes. And so he asks us to do what seems impossible, to hold on to hope despite what seems so terrible and so hard and so painful and so difficult, beyond hope, beyond hope of change. Don't forget the miracle, the impossibility that became a reality in your life. He says, don't fear, just believe. Believe that he will bring a happy ending in his timing. We don't control the timing, but we can count on the result. And it will be a result that would make even the happiest fairy tale seem not happy enough. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we pray for hope, we pray for grace to believe, to not be afraid, and certainly not to get jaded and scornful of your promises, scornful of the hope that you extend to us. And yet we do acknowledge uh, that uh, the world is a painful place, and there are uh, tremendous pressures that your people here in this room are going through. Pressures that tempt us to let go and to give up. And I pray that the voice of Jesus would speak louder to our souls than the voice of this world or the voice of the enemy tempting us away from him. Please help us to hear you tell us to believe and to be at peace and to know that you are for us and that you have time for us and that you love us, that you call us your own. Thank you for the the promise of a day that's coming when you will make everything sad come untrue, will there will be a happy ending that will make every happy ending seem pale in comparison. Please give us the patience and the perseverance to hold on. And Lord, if it be your will, bring some of that blessing now. Interject those eternal glories into the here and now, we pray.
In Jesus' name.